from the trenches. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to From the Trenches, real life in the accounting industry. My name is David Boyer from Signal CFO, joined here with Paul Meisner from Freedom Mentoring. And we are in the Inspire 9 co-working space and we just sat on the Zero Budget Panel. This episode is proudly brought to you by BGL, Australia's number one corporate compliance and superannuation software. Paul, huge, well, not such a huge budget, and I reckon the guys at BGL are probably pretty happy because there wasn't any tinkering to superannuation. Thank you, David. Hello, listeners. Hello, all. Uh, very, uh, very small changes to super, just aligning pension age with contribution caps uh, and the work test. But Look, I'm feeling relaxed, David. I think this is a good, just relaxing budget. I don't have to rush into the office and call a whole lot of clients because uh, there's, there's a raft of changes. Look, we do have an election coming up, clearly, and so we're not entirely sure. We have to wait for that result to uh, work out whether or not much of the budget happens. And we've got a great interview with Angus Capel, Zero's government small business uh, advocate. Straight out of Canberra. Straight out of Canberra. Talking about that. Check out uh, for that episode when it drops. But no, I'm feeling relaxed. So obviously our in-depth topic this week uh, is is the budget. We're going to go through our uh, good and bad, what we each got out of it, and overall what we think. Uh, That's coming up later in the show. But uh, first of all, David... You're picking up the best today, uh, this week, and I'm picking up the worst. Surprise, yeah, well, surprise. Yeah, we've got true to from the trenches, Paul. Uh, form, Paul. I've got a, a glass half full view of the world. We've got the budget to talk about, so we're just going to fly through some things that came across our radar during the week. Article up on Forbes at the moment: automation, organisational readiness, and the need for new skills by Jeff Thompson. This and it's it's fallen under the leadership strategies section uh, as part of this uh, Forbes CFO Insight series. This is probably one of the first articles I've ever seen which actually says, all right, automation's here, robotic process automation's here. Yeah, some of your jobs are actually going to be under threat and, yeah, some of your jobs are probably going to change. But if you bother to just invest a little bit in yourself, you can start to get ready for it and survive in the future of work. And specifically, he's listed four things that you can do. Number one, four ways to learn new skills he's got. Number one, your company. The digital age shouldn't be feared by organisations. It should be embraced. Almost impossible to disagree with, mm-hmm. right? Or you Because you, you know those, those companies are going to be left behind if they don't embrace uh, digital transformation. Um, companies that are already maximising are likely to accept technology's inevitability. Basically, go talk to other people within your organisation to learn more skills. And if you are a small business or if you are a solo business, we're going to get to the next point, go find a network of people where you can chat to. His next point, professional associations. Let's be part of my call, Paul. Go back to your professional associations, your member bodies, and if they don't have the network to help you have the conversation you want, pressure them to making it for you. You've paid the couple of thousand dollars for them. Make them work for you. And I'll tell you, like I said last week, Paul, if, if, if 100 accountants caught up chartered accountants and said, I want a discussion group, they will make it for you. I disagree with that. I don't think they would. But um, I think professional... Sorry, so, two, two, two no, other no, things. No, no, I want to talk about professional associations. I... I don't believe professional associations yet are fit for service, uh, for uh, a fit to give that advice to small firms and small business. Um, I would add, and, and you're going to go through the next two, but none of them are mine. Create your own network. Yeah. Social media for me has become a network of like-minded people who who know the tech 
and get the tech. That is where I think small firms and micro business, that's where you're going to get the learning. And unfortunately, though, I think social media is a very high barrier to entry to your average high street accountant that's out there. It's, it's, they're not, not everybody is social media savvy. Not everyone knows how to enter a conversation on social media. And so it's hard to build. It can be hard. I think there's also a lot of noise. It's who, it's actually who to follow because you could follow the wrong. Yeah. But anyway, what are your other quick Uh, certification? uh, Go out and get additional certifications from professional associations. I think we're definitely lagging there in, in our industry. We're not up to speed enough on that. And academia, academics have a responsibility to deliver curriculum that aligns with what accounting and finance professionals do today. They absolutely are not doing that yet. They're still being taught, in some cases, desktop software, which is the Myob legacy. You know, that's why we all use Myob, because they had. Um, we haven't heard much out of Zero's lifelong learning program since it was announced at ZeroCon two years ago, which was supposed to be the thing that was going to get uni students back onto digital and back online. Uh, and certainly, you know, the, the onslaught of thought leadership into the public debate um, has, has separated actual leadership and actual thought. And we're not getting much actual thought on digital transformation out of academia at the moment. Although I've gone to a lot of Monash Uni conferences and they say that they're doing it, but it's, it's, it's not coming across our radar and we're sitting there actively looking for it. Yeah. Very thin on the ground. Uh, very thin yeah, I've got a best and worst into one article, Paul. Oh, yes. <laughs> what do you got, mate? You got some worst on grounds for oh, us. Oh, what have I got? I don't know. Um, uh, lost my link now. Fathom and Hubdoc. Put out uh, an advisory guide on uh, on doing advisory. This, David, you know, everyone knows, listeners know. This is my uh, right in my wheelhouse of getting under my skin. It was a a guide on how to move from compliance to advisory. Now, while it certainly stopped short of saying that compliance was that compliance being dead, which is my obvious. My obvious trigger. This is the road to advisory, the pre-advisory checklist, uh, combined work, Fathom, Hubdoc. Just pre-advisory, pre-accounting, pre-advisory. Pre-bookkeeping, pre-everything. So this was a direct quote. Compliance work is notoriously time-consuming and provides limited value to your practice. No, it's not. No, it doesn't. Well, I I think that the time-consuming nature is that technology reduces the the time-consuming part. Uh, and leaves you with the higher value. Certainly, it's not limited value given it's seemingly in abundance of supply. And while using technology to streamline some of the non-profitable time in compliance, it becomes highly valuable. And they add advisory takes less of your firm's time and internal resources when you have the right systems in place. Nonsense. Now, anyone who's tried to do advisory to the 99% of businesses that turn over less than 2 million, I love that stat. I'm going to get it tattooed somewhere. David, it's not, is it 99 less than 2? No, it's like 87 less than 2. It's no, still a huge number. 99. Your, it's your 90, point's valid. It's 99. I'd less than 2? I think it's less than no, 2. No, it can't be. You're right. 97. Anyway, it's 97 huge. Less, than, less than 2 million. It's huge. The, the advisory they want, the advisory they need is certainly not in that Crazy end of the spectrum, HR, all of this sort of stuff. It's just it's just not there. Having the right systems is very hard in a small firm to do advisory properly. We do advisory every day. It just totally misses the boat on the fact that compliance does not equal transposition of data. It includes, in, includes a lot of tax or, as I call it, compliance advisory. Anyway. Well, you better just on Twitter to HubDoc's credit. Somebody from HubDoc responded and said, yeah, you know, head of marketing. We, we've missed, we're head of marketing, we've missed the marketing, we've changed it. But you know what? 
We just expect more. It's just not good enough for marketing teams to be making these mistakes. It was like, but we didn't articulate it enough, but we still meant what we said, which was that advisory is higher value in low time. And I'm like, well, that's, like, it's not. It's, it's fundamentally wrong. And I'll tell you what's so crazy about this, and this is a frustrating thing. What does HubDoc do, Paul? Compliance. No, what's receipt management. Receipt man. Why are they even talking about this? You're right. You know, I mean, it, this is in Fathom's wheelhouse because they, they've got the, oh, yeah. the advisory software. Why is that not talking? You know why? Right. Clicks, attention. They're sitting there, dear listener, saying, how do I take more of the From the Trenches listeners' awareness and time so that they become uh, affiliated with my brand so that I can then sell them my product? Right. Anyway, that'll be interesting. I don't have another one. I'm not. No. Budget. Budget. In depth. So Flying through the episode this, this week. We are going to come up with David. Well, look, look, let's just do three things each. I'm rewriting the agenda. I just want to share what our budget experience this year because we've had a really cool budget experience we have, we have. this year. Last night we were invited uh, into Zero headquarters uh, to sit with um, some of the Zero leaders, some other great people. Uh, we had Caroline Stebbing from Little Village Creative, who's featured in Best on Ground. She's got some accounting kit, is her client. She's previously, Best on Ground. Uh, and from Lotus Accounts, we had Kylie Parker, who's a very sharp mind on all things tax. Amanda Newton, head of community. Who's also uh, a practitioner? Amanda Newton was Aaron there. Aaron Adams well. was there, who's an ex practitioner now at and Zero. All, and uh, looks after the Canberra patch, so he's very political. Head of savvy. product communications. Abby Hemfling was there. Yeah, he was very insightful. And Angus Capel, who we've interviewed. It was it was it was actually really good because it was it was not just um, practitioners. Yep. We saw we saw everything. And, and what was so good for us, um, listeners, you know, when Paul and I feel like we want to say something, we just blurt it out there and hope for the best. And if you follow me on social media, you'll find that I make spelling mistakes all over the place. We also had the very professional Zero Comms team sitting there, and as we developed our insights about the budget, they really helped us turn it into a story that would resonate with you know, people following us on Twitter. And I really found that as a really positive experience. And, and also gave gave an angle, you know, and, and did ask thought-provoking questions in terms of, well, what does that mean yeah. to small business? What does that mean to other people? What does that mean to our audience? And also helping us come back to, well, which audience... Are you talking to? So no, look, we were, anyway, we were very honoured. We just... were honoured to uh, to be included. But we've forgotten all about that now. And now we're just talking about what we wanted because you're our dear listeners. Uh, so, what have we got, Paul? Well, David, give us your thoughts. Give okay. us your so, thoughts on so the budget. It's, it's, this is a very, very political budget. You know, it's surplus, surplus, surplus. Um, that is liberal policy one on one is to deliver a surplus budget. That's really what they want to achieve. Um, and, and that's fine. They're, they've got a forecast budget of surplus of $7.2 billion, $7.1 yep. billion next year. So really, really soon. Very soon. And what that does is if you're potentially thinking that you're going to spend some time in the opposition, I mean, the, the betting markets definitely have the Liberal Party losing the next election, clearly. They're basically saying, look, we, were, we gave you a $7 billion surplus. That's what we are expecting. The Labor Party is going to come in with big spending policies, which is pretty common, and that's okay. That's what Labor Party wants. They're not going to get the surplus the Liberal Party now get to say, attack, 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 you, you, you're not responsible with the economy. So it's really going back to the party basics from a political point of view. From a business point of view, the bit that I liked is real recognition of the M part of the SME. And you're very passionate about the micro part of yep. the SME. The S part. And yep. The S part. And for me, it's really the M part where these businesses are growing, they're challenging, um, they're being very innovative, they're dealing with staff, they're employing, they're grappling with technology, they're grappling with going overseas and structures and issues that come with that. Getting them, first of all, recognition that they are still a small business and don't have access to debt, don't have access to resources like their big, like big corporates still do, I think is fantastic. What we've got for them is um, access to the instant asset write-off, which is up to $30,000 now. 
um, and up to $50 million turnover. Might be if it's passed. <laughs> yeah. If it's passed. Yeah. And, and why that's important is businesses of this size are preparing CapEx budgets. So we will be having conversations with our clients now. say, well, hey, if you've got the cash, let's bring forward some of this spending and let's get the one-off tax benefit by bringing it forward and, and buying it now. Yeah, I also like the admin burden. I had a client that did break that, went over that $10 million threshold. And to kind of go to them and say in one year you could claim everything that you bought over mm. 10000 or 20000 and then to say the next year, oh, no, you have to now go and we have to go back to a $1,000 write-off yeah. limits. Like, what the? Yeah. You know, and that just was so annoying from an admin. So I think that actually reduces red tape. I mean, they've spent the money, right? Like Section 8.1 tells us that it should be deductible. Yeah. Writing it off over the life of the asset, these things are worthless. Yeah. Like, you're actually not going to get the, the, the... Yeah. And the other really big thing for me for growing businesses that was in there, um, we all know that lending's really tough at the moment. Many accounts and advisors are saying, don't even bother going to the bank. They're just not, they're just not interested in business lending at the moment. Obviously, we've got a big thing with Judo Capital, the, the interview that we did with Joseph Healy. Um, in this budget is a $2 billion securitization fund. Now, this is not the government lending direct to business. This is the government creating $2 billion of, of a debt warehouse, it's called, for newer banks to access. And what that means is when Commonwealth Bank lends you out money to a business loan, the money they're lending is deposits that they've got from consumers. It's the yep. cheapest form of debt they can get. If you don't have big consumer deposits, which none of the new banks do, your cost of debt's higher and they pass that on. Of course. They're now going to get access to some cheaper debt, which theoretically should reduce the debts they can compete with the big four. Competition is good, especially in the lending space. So I think this is a great move for growing businesses who hopefully are going to be able to access some more debt to fund their expansion plans. What about you, mate? Love it. Love it. Look, I thought this was the, the budget we had to have. Remember that slogan? Yeah. I love that slogan. Uh, Pre-election, obviously, the government got handed a very favourable iron ore price, a favourable uh, low unemployment figure, which obviously has great flow on effects to the uh, tax collection in the individual space. Half of all, you know, taxation that the government collects is individual. So, obviously, a low unemployment really helps with that. Um you know, the government basically, I really felt they stayed out of the way. You know, they, they didn't want to tinker with too much. They had, uh, it was already trending up. The wage growth figures, while probably, you know, a bit aggressive, weren't, weren't that sort of cap over the fence style that we're, we're sometimes used to see. It, it really seemed like there weren't as many accounting tricks. There really weren't as many shifting large amounts of money to try to manufacture a surplus. This did, on the, on the basis of it, look like a relatively honest, you know, in a way, surplus. There wasn't too many tricks. Um, what really impressed me, and the thing that I, I'm from watching budgets, you know, every year for however many years, seeing a surplus in um, the next year, in that first year of estimate, is is unheard of. We're used yeah. to sort of them trying to manufacture it in the third year or the fourth year and going, ha, 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 you know, that's a paper thin. This is this is like now, like that that period that they're talking about a surplus starts in thirteen weeks. So that's how for me it becomes a bit more real mm. when without you know without as they said uh, the tricks on that. Yeah, and, and in terms of the tricks we're talking about, the forecasts that are prepared by government are unbelievably complicated. 
and they're based on assumptions and drivers. And so if you if you come up with, and you know, we heard Angus talking before, if you just say, well, wage growth is going to be at 5%, which is a bogus number, it's never going to happen, you can artificially inflate the forecast. And, and, and yeah. from what we've read and what we can see, there aren't a lot of those tricks in this budget. Not in the first couple of years. And I generally look at the first couple of years. I don't look too far out yes, because I don't believe in budgeting. Budgets never happen largely. Mm. But you know, you're very interested in that first year. And, and I think the wage growth of 2.1, I think, was the forecast in the first couple of years. September 2018 had wage growth of two. Of two. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we're close to the mark of 1.8 or something. So it was actually, we're not far off. Now, there wasn't a huge amount of really big stuff. Like, not, not really big spending. The, probably the, one of the, there were two big, big spending things that were coming in this budget. The first of all is arming APRA, ASIC and the Federal Court to get more judges in response to the Royal Commission into banking. Very disappointing for me that there was no funding to help... Um, uh, response to the franchise uh, inquiry because that's 10% of Australian GDP. That industry is in complete uh, discomfort and lack of certainty at the moment. I would have liked to have seen funding. For, and and th those recommendations recommended the creation of a new body to um, find a way forward. I couldn't see any direct funding for it. Maybe it's going to come as a division of ASIC and it'll be included in that budget, but it wasn't specifically named in the budget. Um, the, something that was really interesting for me, Paul, it, we're in a new communication era. You know, it's a wake up and smell the news cycle era. Trent Innes spoke about Josh Frydenberg's delivery of the budget. Impressive delivery. It was, you know, his tone changed depending on the issue that he was talking about. His animation changed whether he was being kind of attacking a Labor, a Labor policy, if he was talking about mental health. When he spoke about teen suicide, you could almost feel um, his sadness. It was a great, great performance. And, 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 and this isn't cynical. These things are a performance. It, it yeah, is yeah. a show, but... You know, I called this morning when we were on the Zero panel that, that the thing that we want is great leadership to set the tone and to build confidence in the business community. And being able to present like that you know, in an era of new snippets, snippets and sound bites um, was, was very effective. And, and you know, I think Josh did a great job in his first budget. It was, it was great to listen to. Obviously, the key part is the, the two-part tax cuts, and that's what everyone's talking about today. Sorry, you... Oh, well, no, sorry, I'm sorry, I forgot you just reminded me. So there was two big spendings. There was the extra funding for APRA and ASIC and the Federal Court, but the next big one was our mates at the ATO. Now, we announced the big federal, the, the task force, which we thought were going to be, you know, ATO agents in SWAT, black SWAT bulletproof vests and high vis It was in the previous budget, yeah. In the previous budget. They got an extra billion dollars. To go after multinationals, high net worth individuals and uh, tax, tax specialists who promote schemes. A billion dollars. And they're being told to raise 3.6. So... You know, they want almost a four-for-one uh, return on money. That's that's some uh, some big news there. So, look, I, I think, you know, I put a tweet out last night. I think that will level the playing field in a way. You know, I think we, as agents, we're used to seeing a lot of these dodgy operators. Maybe they're charging as a percentage of refund, pushing R&D, whatever. You know, hopefully those tax schemes, we're starting to see them being rounded up a bit um, and, and some of that cut off. Certainly... The ATO, who had been in previous budgets sort of defunded and defunded and defunded, are starting to get some money back to go after this thing because they realise that it is important. All we heard this morning, you know, if you read the radio and speak to my Uber driver this morning, was um, that's the, that's tax the, cuts. That's the zeitgeist. <laughs> the zeitgeist is the, what? The Uber driver. Uber driver at, at 7am or 6.30. Um, is, is the two-part tax cuts. Now, I want to split them out because the... Second part of the tax cut, which was moving the 41 band out to 45, that's not going to happen until 2024. Anyone who's talking about something that may or may not happen in four years after an election and possibly another election 
is kidding themselves. So largely, just put a line through that. Don't bother talking about it. <laughs> the media love that stuff, but I wouldn't let them. I wouldn't let them talk about it, especially when you're talking about the clients. Low income tax offset, low to middle income tax offset. This is the big news for me. I love the tax offset because it is targeted. It is only the people who earn under one hundred and twenty-six thousand. It's not one of these tax bracket changes where um, everybody, including the richest one percent, get it as well. It's a good use of budget money, I think, because it's targeted right at the low or middle income. Now, David, the bit that I find really interesting about this is we are currently sitting here. You know, budget night was the 2nd of April. There's going to be an election. So in this measure, the low income and low middle income tax offset is, uh, is slated to change from, from 1 July. But basically, it's tax returns lodged from 1 July. So between... April and 30 June, this is what has to happen. There has to be an election. There has to be a government formed, and if that's minority, that gets a little bit harder. There has to be legislation to change the rate of the low-income tax offset and the low-middle-income tax offset. Then it has to be passed. It has to get royal assent, plus all of the softwares, including e-tax and all of the little tax software, has to have have it rolled out in their property by midnight on the 30th, or 8 a.m. on the 1st of July. That's a, a logistical moment. When the first person wants to lodge their return. This creates a real problem, David, because, I mean, and this is if the government gets in, right? But that is a really short time. And if that if that actually happens and it doesn't make it, what happens? Do you lodge two tax returns? Do you get an amended assessment if the rebate comes through? I think this is just, you know, they've, they've talked about doing it, but the actual procedure of getting that done in three weeks, yeah. 13 weeks, is just uh, beside me. Now, I've got to chuck another best on grounding, Paul, about the budget. Now, we've been busy working with Zero, helping out with their budget coverage, and it's been a great time. And, and I've often been critical that our representative bodies aren't as active as in Canberra as what I think that they should be. The IPA budget breakfast is in the Great Hall of Parliament House. Has been for a couple morning, of years, David. It's, which yeah. is, and Lee Sales is hosting it with Katarina Torian from Momentum Media, accountant's daily fame. Um, I tell you what, just swinging the power, walking down the halls, shaking hands, Mr. Conway. I've done, and actually, and to credit to the IPA, the two billion dollars securitisation fund, I'm pretty sure, uh, came out of the SME research paper that the IPA did two years ago. I have to follow that up. I have That'd to follow be that because if that's true, that is a great example of bodies really advocating for the people that we. IPA are certainly are leading that small business space. The others seem relatively uh, asleep at the wheel or too big to. Uh, to really push for any meaningful change. Too big to fail? What? Well, that's a separate show. That's a separate show. What else happened? What I, I, I spoke about the lack of, I, I like the lack of change, especially around super. Um, oh, the STP data, a really interesting thing for me came out of the fact that obviously we're going to single-touch payroll, the ATO uh, are going to collect a whole lot more data about real-time wages. Yeah. They're going to share it with Department of Human Services, Social Services, Immigration, etc. Three billion dollars in the budget, David, was saved by the Department of Social Services. Not sure whether in that work to chase people who aren't reporting wages or just having to chase manual reporting of wages because they're going to get the data delivered to them. A three billion dollar saving is a lot of money from from the STP. The use of that data uh, well, is going to have some interesting repercussions. And, and pretty amazing for a budget that didn't mention anything about digital. Which uh, yeah. Trenton has spoke about today. It's kind of just, did, did it not mention it or is it just kind of happening anyway? I did, and Trent said anymore. that it was happening. Yeah. I mean, STP is a digital initiative and, mm. and is going to have some flow on effects to.
to and three billion dollars to social services alone is really interesting. There's something really interesting as well that came out of the budget. Headspace is getting a lot of uh, funding to promote mental health, particularly in teenagers, yeah, yeah. which which we clearly support. And we always want to take these moments to uh, remind, uh, I guess, our listeners and practitioners of the mental health resources that are already available to them. Um, get in touch with CPA, IPA, and chartered accountants who all have mental health programs to help you with. Get in touch with Headspace and Beyond Blue for yourself and for your clients if you need any assistance. Um, a great stat that's actually come from a PwC report that I've, I've I quoted this morning on the panel, but I've just found out what it is. For every dollar thirty-seven a business spends on mental health, they save five dollars. Yeah, because it is about production. It is about rocking up to work and being your best and doing your best. Um, and it's going to require a different type of leadership for people with staff to be able to do that. Absolutely. I, I like it. Is it. Was there anything else that we, we saw? EMDG, you, you had the, a beat on that. that yeah, was... look, look, I think it's just another an extra $60 million for the export market development grant for Aussie businesses expanding overseas. And, and this is where the M and the SME part's getting a bit of a flick. You know, we need to be supporting our growing businesses. We need to get rid of our tall poppy syndrome. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people told me that my, my attack on Afterpay is just tall poppy. It's not. I just don't think it's a good business for society. No, I think it is. A but uh, it, it's successful in the share market, and that's fine. Very entrepreneurial, just not good. Um, the, no, it's not. It's not good. Well, I can, I, so I can buy a, a sweater for $3 that's an inefficient supply chain and ruining and polluting the world. Anyway, um, so, so what this does is um, it's support for growing Aussie businesses, looking to make their mark overseas, exporting our, our IP and our knowledge, which is great, but it was really interesting when the Federal Treasurer, when Josh presented it, seconds after he then made a comment about the crackdown on multinationals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really, because Australia copped it globally. Not copped it, I think in different circles, we either respected or we were criticised for clamping down on multinational tax avoidance and Facebook and Google were two companies that really impacted by it. So it's sort of like, yeah, look, we've clamped down on your income tax sort of tricks that you're playing, uh, but here's $60 million that's going to be spent on your ad platforms. And we'll use our voice to tell them where to, where to spend it. Like, yeah. you know, why didn't they say local advertising, you know, or, or get on a plane and, you know, get on a plane and go promote Australia. It was like, just do Facebook ads. Anyway, very interesting. And, and look, as we, as we go, you know, we've got an election coming up. Who knows where that's going to sit? We've got the Labor budget response within the next couple of days. Yeah, we'll do that next week. Um, that, that'll be interesting because especially leading into the election, if, if there is a government change. How, we're going to do a From the Trenches election that's going to be great fun. We might have to actually get organised for that. Nah, we'll see. Hey, listeners, we um, thanks for listening. We did 100 episodes last week and in true From the Trenches form, uh, we forgot to upload it to our sound engineer on Friday. Uh, so the 100th episode was released a day late, which is just about as typical as it gets, yep, Paul. That's just... uh, but thanks for your patience and thanks for listening. Reach out if you've ever got any content inquiries or want us to cover stuff. We love hearing from listeners. I am... Paul at freedommentoring.com or on LinkedIn. David? David at sequelcfo.com.au. Check out on LinkedIn. Let's have a chat. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to an episode of From the Trenches. David and I love to hear from listeners, so you can reach out if you've got feedback or story ideas. Get in touch. I can be reached on Twitter at Paul Meissner underscore or on LinkedIn, Paul Meissner. I'm on Twitter at David Boyar, B-O-Y-A-R, on LinkedIn, David Boyar.